Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Jesus, I pray that in this moment you would just stir our hearts through your Holy Spirit. I pray that the word would penetrate deeply, God, into our spirit and into our lives. And may not a single person today leave the way that they came in. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. So please open up your Bible to the book of Acts. An interesting thing that I've been seeing the last while is that in our modern age, many people are saying, listen, I love the idea of community, of fellowship, but not necessarily God. So not the religious stuff. You know, I want the fellowship, but not the faith. And that makes sense because community is so good for you. It's so ingrained into the way I believe we've been designed. Uh, The Guardian, February 2018, had an article about a town that they had been studying. And and this is the heading. They say, this town has found the potent cure for illness. And what is it? Community. Togetherness. Something in the way that we are constructed thrives when we are in community. In the New York Times, April 2013, they said, one of the most striking scientific discoveries about religion in recent years is that going to church weekly is good for you. It may add as much as two to three years to your life. We were made for community. And so now some people say, yes, we love that, but not the God stuff. So what that's led to over the last couple of years is the rise of atheist churches. Do you know there's something like that? And they mostly concentrated in North America and in Britain where it's quite, you know, post-Christian and secular. And one of these, I went onto their website. They called the Sunday Assembly in Britain. And I went onto their website to their Frequently Asked Questions page because I wanted to know what, is a, what does an atheist church look like? What do you do in an atheist church? And they said this. This is almost their vision. They said the Sunday Assembly is a secular community that meets regularly to celebrate life. Our motto is live better, help often, and wonder more. And our mission is to help everyone live as fully as possible. Does that sound like church to you? So what do you expect when you go to an atheist church on a Sunday, I'm guessing? Maybe it's a Saturday, maybe like Seventh-day Advent atheist you know, churches or something like that. So they say a Sunday assembly service consists of pop songs sung by the people and then reading of a poem, an interesting talk, and a moment of reflection. And then afterwards, we have tea and cake to encourage people to stay and mingle with one another. Outside of the event, we organize small groups, other social activities such as book clubs, peer-to-peer support, and local volunteering. Again, I want to say, man, that sounds a lot like the church, doesn't it? It's just so amazing. We can have all of that without the nonsense, you know, religious stuff. And yet, they also have, you know, all the highs, apparently, but also a lot of the lows of church. Because in this article documenting the specific church, the author says that they have had a church split in the last couple of years over differences in ideology. So it says here, the clash by Jones, that's the one camp telling Moore, the other camp, that his group is no longer welcome at the Sunday assembly. And Moore now, the breakaway groups, they are promising a more staunchly atheistic replacement with his godless revival. That's the new church. So apparently church splits happen even in the atheistic world, apparently. And fundraising issues. It says the Sunday assembly recently fell short of their 500,000 pound fundraising goal, only bringing in 33,000 pounds. While the founders expressed disappointment, they pledged to forge on. So I'm like, this sounds a lot like church. It's got all the highs and the lows. 
And so my question is, if that's, if that's the case, if you can just have community without all the God stuff, is there actually something unique to Christian community? Is there something unique in the church? And from my very humble perspective, I want to say the answer is an emphatic yes. Because there is a fundamental difference in the why of gathering, of being together, of walking the road. You know, Pretoria is a very religious city. Every Sunday morning, people get on their cycles and they bicycle religiously, right? We're gathering for crumpets and for cake and we're gathering for CrossFit and for cycling. We gather religiously. And what's the difference between all of that? Is there a difference between cake and crumpets and CrossFit and cycling and Christianity? I think the answer is yes. And so open up your Bible to Acts 2. We're preaching in this series called Real Christianity through the book of Acts, the story of the early church. And last week we ended off, Jesus been resurrected, the Holy Spirit miraculously poured out, and then Peter gets up. He preaches the first sermon recorded for us in this book, and it ends on this cliffhanger. Intense sermon, and it says, And when they heard this, verse 37, just to catch us up again, they were pierced to the heart as he spoke about Jesus. And the people asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you. And it just ends there. It's like this cliffhanger. What is going to happen after this piercing heart sermon? Today we pick it up in verse 41. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. And now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Sheesh. This text is so amazing. I literally have preached on this text more in my life than any other text, I think. It's probably the most famous portion of scripture in the whole book of Acts, and it's powerful because it has so much in it. Because it's giving us not prescriptively, this is what you have to do in church, but it's giving this vivid description of what church life can be. There's so much in it. It's like this unending well that we can go from. And here is the key that we see why there's a difference between crumpets and cakes and CrossFit and cycling on a Sunday morning and the Christian community. It's because the reason for the gathering is not because we just want to have a good time and be good people and just make the world better and, you know, live better and love more or whatever it is. Those things are great. Please go cycling. Please eat cakes and crumpets. But the reason for the gathering, this text says what? Is it's when people embrace the historic truth of the good news of Jesus and they are ignited by the Holy Spirit. The very next thing happens. It's not because we want to even. It's not because we've got this emotional need. It's because the truth of Jesus and the igniting power of the Holy Spirit gives birth to a community that the world has never seen. 
And what's the result of that? When you mix gospel, good news, Jesus, truth anchored in history, and you mix it with the igniting power of the Holy Spirit, look at verse 41. It says, those who accepted this message of Jesus, what happened? They were added. They were added to Friends, this goes counterculturally to so many cultural Christians' view. I love Jesus, but not so much the church. I'm sorry, that's nonsense. There is no such thing in the New Testament as someone says, I'm for Jesus, just not for the church. Because it says here, we are not just saved from sin, death, and brokenness and losing our calling. Yes, we are saved into a renewed calling in God. We are saved into new life. We are saved into this incredible adoption relationship with the Father. But it says you are saved into a family. You are saved into a body, a people. And I cannot say no. You know, I love the head of the body, but the body itself is not for me. No, it says we are saved into And then it says, those who are added, what? They devoted themselves. They devoted. Not because of a great campaign. Not because the pastor was charismatic. Not because we had to do it or my parents are forcing me. I know some of the students, your parents are phoning you and they're saying like, have you gone to church yet? It's not for that reason. It's because of the truth and the spirit doing something in the hearts of the people. And the very natural response is the people devoted themselves. Now, let me give you a quick list here. I've preached on this text so many times, and even in Hatfield, we've gone through it a couple of times looking at the individual things, but I just want to give you quickly the scope of it, and then we're going to do something a bit different as we look at this text today. Just look at some of the resources of devotion that it gives us here. It's a very tiny list. So all of you optometrists, I'm sorry for this, but just look at some of what this text says. It says, first up, verse 41, baptism. There was a devotion to public faith. Not private religion, public faith. And let me just stop there for a moment. Baptism. If you have not been baptized as a Jesus follower, you know when the time is? The time is now. Matthew 28 says that every Jesus follower should be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Whether you have been serving Jesus for 20 years or last week, a couple of people responded to the gospel in this very building. You know what your next step should be in discipleship following Jesus? It's to be baptized. It's to make a public profession of your faith. And we want to celebrate that with you as a community. So I'm going to ask you right now as I'm speaking, if you have not been baptized, I want you to take one of our next steps cards off of your backside there if possible and fill an I want to be baptized. We're going to take you through a process of explaining what the theology in the heart of baptism is. And on the 11th, when we open up our new building, we are going to baptize some people. So if you're sitting and you say, I've never been baptized, I would love to find out what that is about. We would love to take you through that. There was a day in my faith, I'd been saved about a year And then as a student in my first year, I had to, with the family that God had placed me in, come out of the water and celebrate saying yes to Jesus in a public way. And we want to celebrate that with you. Amen? Amen. But secondly, there's teaching. Verse 42, it says there was a devotion in the people to have a godly worldview. Verse 44, there was a togetherness. There was a community or a commonality between the people. There was a devotion to Jesus-centered relationships. Verse 43, the people were filled with awe. There was a devotion to keeping God at the center of everything they were doing. 
verse 42, breaking of bread. There was a devotion to remembering the good news of Jesus in a practical way. Verse 43, there was wonders and signs being, being experienced. There was a devotion amongst the people to live supernaturally natural. If you're feeling sick this morning, for us to pray for you, to expect breakthrough in your life, to expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us, guide us, lead us, empower us, that's not funny. That's just Christianity. There's verse 45 says, there was generosity, generosity between the people. There was a, a devotion to generosity, not just as a moment, but as a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of generosity. Verse 46, regular temple and home gatherings. There was a devotion to corporate gathering. It says, verse 46, be joyous hearts. There was a devotion to character change. Being together as the people of God, walking in a relationship, it should change me. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, you know, this person asks him, why is the Christian in my office so angry? And he says, the question is not if he's angry. The question is, is he less angry than he was before he met Jesus? Being the people of God should bring change to who we are. Praise. Verse 47. Amen. Praise. Amen. Praise. Lachai. Thank you. There was praise. There was an atmosphere of praise. The people were devoted to passionate corporate worship. To challenge the status quo of your week. Don't just go down the stream of where the city is going. Stand up on a Sunday and worship Jesus. In favor, verse 47, with the community. There was a devotion to influence the society around them. We're not here in a little island. We are here to see the city changed. And lastly, a passion for the lost. There was a devotion to seeing those who do not yet know Jesus come to faith. So guys, look at this. Baptism, togetherness, teaching, breaking bread, filled with all prayer, wonders and signs, generosity, you know, gathering, joyous hearts, praise, favor of the community, passion for the lost. This is the kind of church that I want to be part of. This is the kind of church that I want to give my life toward nurturing. This is the kind of church that I want to see mushroom out of the ground in a thousand spaces in our city. This kind of church. This kind of church. And I want to show us maybe if we break these two ideas just into almost this whole list into just two things. It's almost like seeing that church has the capacity to be like the lungs of a body. It's like this, this well-working respiratory system. There's breathing in and there's breathing out. When you breathe in, you know, the, the oxygen actually transfers over into your bloodstream and then these cells use that oxygen to create energy. And when I'm breathing out, that almost capacity build up is expelled again. So it's almost like breathing in is the build up of capacity, breathing out is the release of that capacity. And that's how church works. There's a breathing in that we call family and there's a breathing out that we call mission. A family that goes on mission is a church that's breathing in community, fellowship, family, and it's breathing out mission, going to our city, bringing faith, love, and hope to our city. Do you know that you cannot just have one or the other? Well, if you have neither, you're dead, by the way. So that's, again, the picture of the Christian who says, Jesus, yes, church, no. The Bible says no to you. That's not Christianity. But you cannot have one or the other. I just love the family, the breathing in. 
Let's, can we do that quickly? Let's just breathe. So you're going you're gonna, to, let's see how far we can breathe and how many breaths you can take in without breathing out. So let's do it together. One, two, three. <laughs> it feels weird, right? You have this need to breathe out. Let's just breathe out without breathing in. So see how far you can breathe out without breathing in. Let's go. It's weird, isn't it? It feels like I need both. I can't just be breathing and I can't just be breathing out. In church, there's a rhythm of family, building family, being in community, building up capacity, strengthening each other and going out, breathing out, breathing out, breathing out. And if we can just today say, what does this breathing in look like? Let's just speak about family for a couple of minutes today. And then we'll take a break for Easter next week. And then on our day that we open up our building, we'll speak about breathing out the mission of God. Family that goes on mission. See, family, this scripture has got this radical picture of spirit-infused togetherness. Togetherness. And it's beautiful. As we read through it, we're all like, oh man, this is awesome. I would love to have a church that has this keen sense of togetherness, isn't it? But can you hear today that this goes directly against the individualism of the city that we live in? The city of Tswane that we live in loves to practice religion secretively, live their lives individualistically, and make decisions privately. That's the city that we live in. But the Bible comes and says no to that. That's not how church is going to work. And some of us have gone years without committing to something. Maybe it's committing to a relationship. Maybe it's committing to that project you haven't finished. Maybe it's committing to the business that you want to start. But I think for many Christians, I see the reluctance in committing to the body of God, to the family of God. I like the church. I like dating the church. I like attending the church. But I will not commit myself to the church And I want us to hear today that the Holy Spirit is tugging against your heart if that's where you are. Saying, don't date the church, commit to the church. Be part of the church family. Paul was reflecting on this in his letter to the Ephesian church. When he writes this in chapter 2 verse 21, it says, In him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you, and that's plural, that's not individual. So it's not you or you or you, it's us. It's you together. In him, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So why the church? Because Paul says there is a mysterious way in which the Holy Spirit indwells us, you, in which he does not fully indwell us as individuals. There's a way that I can experience God in the context of community that's different from just having my, my daily devos in the morning with my Instagram and you know my Bible and my coffee. That's great. But there's something profound about the people of God together, Paul says. And so is there a difference between you know, the religion? Like I said this morning, I drive by all the churches as I go to our building this morning. I drive past all the cyclists, religiously cycling. Sunday morning, come hell or high water, thousands of Praetorians will be cycling, right? We love together for tea and crumpets. We love together for CrossFit and cycling. We love together religiously. And Paul says there's something more profound than that in the church. 
do that. Please cycle by all means. But he says, commit to the church. Why? Because there is, there's a calling on family. There's a cancer we need to look out for. And there's a core that we need to embrace. What's the calling of family? It says in verse 47, that all the while praising God, they enjoyed the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The calling of the church is this incredible combination of Jesus-focused, people-loving, community-impacting fellowship. That's what we are called to. So the calling of the church is to be the greatest force for good in Pretoria. There should not be an organization in this city that is out commuting, communitying. It's the word that I'm looking for. That's difficult. Sorry, guys. My Afrikaans are shining through there. There, Let's try that again. There should not be an organization in the city that is out communitying the church, that is out impacting the church. That is out reaching the church in its love and its passion and its hope. There should not be an organization that speaks better of the city than us. That dreams more for the city than us. That has a greater love and passion for the city than us. That's the kind of church that God is calling us to be. In every age and country and economic situation, to every people group, we are called to make the invisible kingdom visible. What has God come to announce in Jesus? My kingdom has come. It's near, in fact. Now, my church, go and make it visible. Now, speak it. Live it. Bring it to the people. You know, Bill Hybels, he's he's fallen out of favor with many people. But I think this, this absolutely rings true, what he says in his book, Courageous Leadership About the Church. He says, there is nothing like the local church when it's working right. He says its beauty is indescribable, its power is breathtaking, its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction, it frees the oppressed, and it offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. This is the kind of church God calls us to be. We have a calling, friends, not to attend church only, but to be the church, to be the family of God together. There's a calling. But what's the cancer that goes directly against this calling? If not, check, this cancer literally eats away at the very fabric of who we want to be, who we've called to be as a church. You know what that cancer is? It's called consumerism. It's called consumerism. It's when we are no longer God-devoted, but self-consumed. When everything in the church is filtered through self-interest, self-satisfaction, and (laughs) self-pleasure. It's all about me. You know, church is great as long as it fits my time, my schedule, my energy, and my priorities. Again, I don't know what you call that, but you can't call it church. Friends, Peter and Paul and the early church would be horrified if they hear how people speak about the church today. People that have not been to church in three years will say, that's my church. Friends, if I literally tonight, I did not go back to my house 
And my wife in a panic starts phoning around and I don't pitch up. And days go by and weeks go by. I'm not, I'm not sleeping in that bed. I'm not eating around the table with my wife and my kids. For three years, I'm just gone. And someone meets me in pick and pay. Kevin meets me in pick and pay. He's like, Joe, how's it, dude, like, where are you? Like, what's going on? Dude, nothing. That's my wife. I love my wife. I love my kids. Dude, but you haven't been to your house in three years. Yeah, you know, but, you know, it's my wife and it's my kids. That's ridiculous. And yet, that's how we think about the church. Friends, there are people in China at the moment who would give their left toe to have what we have in the church that are getting literally persecuted. China is the fastest growing Christian nation in the world. Do you know that? They will have the most Christians by 2050 in all of the world. You know why? It's because it's bloody difficult to be a Christian there. And it's firing up something in the people's hearts. And what do we say? I haven't been to church. You know, I had to wash my hair. You know, it's been difficult. I'm going to meet people in the new heavens and earth one day. I'm going to meet people who got sewn up in animal skins and thrown into the Colosseum for their beliefs. I'm going to meet Chinese people of 2021 who are willing to be tortured and thrown out of their homes for the church. And I'm going to tell them, you know, it was a, it was a busy season. You know, there's a lot of things going on in my life. You know, I was a bit tired. You know, I arrived late from home after this wedding. Guys, there's a cancer called consumerism, and it eats away at the calling of the church. You know, Shay and I, we have been, there's an there's a expression of community in this church that we call community groups, our small groups. I think it's the lifeblood of what we are trying to do as a church. We have been, basically, since the day we've gotten saved, we have been in community groups. And there was one season where we felt so overburdened, kids and postgrad studies and work and everything, we just said, we're going to take a break, you know? Every now and then, you just need a good break from the church. So we took a break from community. And I'm telling you, it was the biggest mistake we ever made. I remember after a couple of months standing on the golf course with a friend, and I just uttered the words, I feel so lonely in my faith at the moment. I feel so lonely. Because I realized there's a massive difference between crumpets and cakes and CrossFit and cycling, and what I have was the people of God. Friend, listen to me. You don't have to be my best friend. You don't have to be. I share something much deeper with you. There's something so beautiful about church. So you know what we did? We started a community group again. We were living on the University of the Free State campus at that stage. And we invited just a bunch of students. We had three kids. You know how many kids they had? None. So our life stages were literally miles apart. But we said we are going to build community again. And I've said over and over again, friends, on a Wednesday evening, when it was community group with our student group, every Wednesday, we were tired as heck at the church. And we were tired at home. And we would get there, and it's like, you know, it's DEFCON 5, just before the kids go to bed at 7. It's like, it's like you know, monkey swinging, and it's flamethrowers, and it's just, it's so crazy. And then literally, like half a second before 7, we literally, it's like Jumanji, you're closing the door and all the chaos and everyone's finally in bed. And then literally half a second later, the students are, they just like, yay, it's community. And we're like, yay, it's hello, yellow. We are dead tired. That's how I felt every single week. And you know what happened? Every single Wednesday evening, when they left our house, I said, Jesus, thank you for community. Thank you that I don't do this alone. Yes, they are in a completely different life stage, but I share something so much deeper 
with them. Friends, Sundays celebrating together. Wednesdays in community group. Taking initiative in this church to be in one another's homes and lives. If you sit here today and you tell me, Joe, no one's reaching out to me in the church. I want to say I'm sorry. We are working on this together. But here's a challenge for you. You do it. You invite the people. You get into their homes. You initiate it. I learned community and rhythm from people in my life as a Christian. It was not a course that we took. It was the community devoting ourselves and fighting against the cancer of it's all about me. You know, Francis Schaeffer, he's probably one of the greatest thinkers in the Christian church of the last hundred years. He wrote very, very difficult books, but he was also someone who put his money where his mouth was. And so him and his wife, they started this thing called Labrie in the 1950s in Switzerland. And it's, it's this French word that just simply means to care for. And they started these homes all around and they started in their own home and eventually just went everywhere. And it was a place where they wanted people to discover what faith is and to experience what faith looks like. So what is that? Community. Come and do community with us. And doesn't that sound amazing? You're all like, wow, that's, you know, we should, I, I, we should do that. You know, just opening up our homes, living life together, doing community. Listen to what they say. This cost them. He says, it's a costly business to have a sense of community. In about the first three years of Labrie, all of our wedding presents were wiped out. Our sheets were torn, holes were burnt in our rugs. Indeed, once a whole curtain almost burned up from somebody smoking in our living room. You see, you don't need a big program. All you have to do is open your home and begin. And there's no place in God's world where there are no people who will come and share a home as long as it is a real home. It's a costly thing. It's a beautiful thing. But if it's all about me, it will never work. So lastly, what's then the core of this? The core of this family And you'll see these two themes running. Let's read verse 42 once again. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to teaching and fellowship and sharing and meals and prayer. And it says in verse 43, A deep sense of what? Of awe came over them all. Instead of focus on self, there was awe and there was devotion. Awe and devotion. What is awe? We don't use that word a lot. It's, it's amazement. It's being lost for words. It's being taken in. It's when you stand in front of Table Mountain. It's, it's like yesterday. I had to do a wedding again, and I saw this guy. And he had seen his bride-to-be thousands of times, but he saw her for the first time, and he was in awe. There's awe when I come to Jesus. He's not useful. He's beautiful. He's not a means to an end. He is now the end of my life. Everything becomes about him. There's an awe that leads to what? Devotion. When you are in love, when there's awe in your heart, I don't have to ask you. You are going to spend your time and your treasures and your talents on that girl or that guy. Isn't it true? You will evangelize the world about the beauty of the lady that you are pursuing. You will buy the presents. You will organize the weekends. You will, do, you will devote yourself. There's a devotion where there is an awe amongst the people, an enthusiasm, a commitment, a love for something. You know, our kids... All three of them had something that we call a lappy. Had anyone a lappy, a little blanket when you were younger? Any lappies? Yeah? Our kids had lappies, and they did not like them. 
They did not love them. They were devoted to them. Isn't that true? They could not go to bed, friends, without that. If we had a long trip that we had to take somewhere, oh man, if you forgot that luppy, it's done, friends. It's done. All the fun is done if that luppy is gone. They devoted themselves to that luppy. And it's not because we asked them to. It's not because we, you know, we forced it on them. They became devoted when they had an afternoon nap. Literally, you know, the material, the pattern of that luppy would be impressed upon their faces because they were in awe and devoted to those luppies. Friends, that's how the church works. It's not because I'm asking you to. It's not because you're forced to. It's not because we are obligated. It's because something of the truth of Jesus so grips my heart and the Holy Spirit so ignites it in me that as natural as breathing, I go, family, I devote myself to you. When Jesus captivates me, devotion to God and devotion to his people is the most natural response in the world. There's a devotion amongst the people. And you know what that looks like? It looks like proximity and regularity. You cannot have family without those two things. It says in verse 42, every day they devoted themselves. And they got together, not just in the temples, but in the homes. That's personal. There's a regularity that was in there. The church, the early church got together every single day. Can you imagine that? Friends, you cannot have intimate relationship with someone once every six weeks. It doesn't work. It's not about attendance. It's about family. How do we become a family? It's regularity, being in each other's homes, being around the sports fields together, being in the coffee shops, being together on a Sunday. It's a lifestyle. Your priorities shift in life. It's not, God, I have got all these things that I love and do and prioritize. Where can I fit you in? No, everything changes. Can I challenge you? I had a mentor in my faith that challenged me to put pillars into my life. At least the two of Sunday celebrations and community groups. And I'm telling you that I allow the the water of my energy and my time and priorities to flow around those things. So when we go on holiday, we come back for the church. When I have to study, when a student tells me I have a test, I can't be at community group because I, I have to write a test on Friday. I'm sorry. You need to reorder your priorities. It's not about attendance. It's about saying, God, I want to create family. And there's a proximity, friends. Do you know that the Christian church has no record of temples, of gathering spaces, There's no historical record of these massive buildings put up for the church. Why? Other than every other religion, it's because they met together in homes. The church's power was not in the temple. It was in the table. It's where the church became the church. Who is in your house week to week? Who are you inviting? Who are you challenging yourself to reach out to? Friends, church is not something I go to. It's a lifestyle that I grow into. So can we end? Just go full circle all the way back to where we started. What is different between crumpets and cakes and CrossFit and cycling in the church? It's this one thing. It's because all of those things, as good as they are, they imply that we are together because we are the same. We think the same. We have the same interests and hobbies and heart and background and speech. But the Christian church says, you know what? We are together in spite of all those things. You don't look like me. 
you don't sound like me. You don't speak like me. We don't have the same background. We don't have the same interests. We don't have the same hobbies. I mean, some of you people are cat people. We don't have the same love for things in the world. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, We are different. And yet, it's this one thing. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It's because one day in my life, I had to go down on my knees and say, Jesus, I'm desperate for your grace. I don't want to be the captain of my own soul anymore. I don't want to be the Lord of my own life anymore. I am desperate to experience life to the full in you. And when I opened my eyes, I almost metaphorically saw all these other people kneeling next to me saying, that man Jesus is now my all. And it's like grabbing them together and saying, now we walk together. In spite of the differences, in spite of the age gap, in spite of the way we think differently, in spite of the fact that I joke about cats, in spite of all those things, it's for Jesus. And there is nothing like it. So can I just encourage you, as we close, this word together is a beautiful word. It comes from two Greek words that means homo, which means same, and thumos, which means a snort of passion. Have you heard that word for? It's not anger, it's a snort, like it's like a snort of passion. And the and, and the Dr. Luke, he puts these two together because he says, when you think about togetherness in verse 46, they met together in the temple. It's this word homothumadon, which I know it sounds like something out of Jurassic Park, but it's this idea of a sameness, a togetherness, and a snort of passion. You need to have a snorting passion for community. When we say, I'm sorry, it's just, you know, it's difficult times, you know, I've got things to do. No, we say, I have a snorting passion for the people of God. When I see you fading away, when you see me fading away, I have to throw a spiritual tantrum and say, I have a snorting passion for the people of God, for the breathing in of family. So can I challenge you? Here's an action step for you. Number one, get baptized. On the 11th of April, we want to baptize those who have not yet been baptized and experience the family coming together. And secondly, here's one expression of community in this church, of family. It's called community groups. And if you're not in one today, on your next steps card, fill in, I want to join a community group. And we want to together discover the snorting passion of what family is can be. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have given yourself so that we can be given to each other. God, I pray today that there would be something of a release in our hearts of self and an embrace today of each other. God, make us a church that's famous for how we carry love and support each other and how we go into the city with that kind of countercultural community. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen.